Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Exurgat Deus et discipentur de nemici eius, et fugianchio derunteu ma facia eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let all those who hate him flee from before his face. I have a wonderful announcement to make. The website is up. It's basically a landing page. It'll, uh, it's got links on it. It'll take you over to where you can listen to the podcast. Um, if you happen to be like away from your, you know, if you're not using your phone or whatever and you're on a, another device or something like that, you can go to www.radiofreecatholic.com and you can land right on the podcast website. There's a little bit of, there's a little bit of stuff on there. It's nothing too major. It's, uh, you know, um, a landing page where you can uh, click on where you want to listen. Um, you can... <clears throat> Find out a little bit about my backstory, um, you know, in, in the about page, and if you and you can actually send me an email through the website. There's a little form you fill out, and you can, you know, you enter in your email address and all that other stuff, and 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 you can actually just email the podcast directly through the website. Not a whole lot going on with it. I'm still working on trying to figure out how to put together an archive page. Um, that's going to be a little bit more difficult. <laughs> okay, a lot a bit more difficult. Um, in the meantime, you probably noticed I've been putting a few of the uh, older podcasts and starting from the beginning and working my way through. Um, I'm not putting every single podcast. I'm putting the podcasts that I think are probably the most important to get the overarching theme of everything that's been going on for the last couple of years. Um, in addition, maybe um, a few other personal topics and things and things like that that I talked about um, over the last year and over well actually we're going on two years now goodness gracious um, <clears throat> so thankfully got the podcast launched or got the website launched before two years <laughs> the original podcast was a garbage landing page um, eventually there will be a subscribe button. Um, which will probably be linked to something akin to Patreon or Subscribestar or something like that. Um, in the meet for right now, until I can figure out what it is that I'm that I'm going to actually do to make the sub, you know s- subscriptions worth subscribing to, I'm not going to bother with putting that up there. Um, 
And that's mostly because, I mean, hey, we're going to pay for extra stuff and this, that, and the other. There are other ways that you can do it. Um, you can actually contact me directly, and I can, and if, if you if you want to contribute to the podcast and all that. Um, I do this only in my spare time, which is principally why there's not a whole lot on the website. Um, I used to be a syndicated columnist a long, 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 long time ago. Um, and in truth, you've really only, like when you're working a full-time job, you've really only got enough time to do one or two items especially if you're trying to do a daily thing there's really only enough time to do one or two items per day um, I can only really do a series like like basically record as I can um, the responsibilities that I have in my new job require a little bit more time and more ac- more accurately actually it requires more rest time the um, <clears throat> So it's part of the reason why I've kind of dialed it down to dialed it down to weekly. However, um, I did notice this like, like as soon as it was like, oh yeah, I'm only going to record weekly, and then I was like, oh okay, cool. And over the course of the week, I recorded four more podcast episodes. So <clears throat> it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. And this is actually, I think, one of the longer intros I've ever done. So let's go ahead and get to the topics. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Sancta Michael Arcangela, defendenos in proelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias diaboli est opraestidium. Imperatili Deus supplicis de precamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satana maliosque spiritus malignos que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute in infernum netrude. Amen. Cor Jesus Sacratissimum, Miserere Nobis, Mater Dolorosa, Ora Pro Nobis, Sanct, excuse me, Sancti Joseph, Ora Pro Nobis, Beatis Carolus et Domo Austriae, Ora Pro Nobis, Sancti Ioannis Capistranus, Ora Pro Nobis, In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. I wanted today uh, to read an excerpt from... Uh, John Hofer's uh, biography on St. John Capistran, or San Juan Capistrano, for those of you who've ever been to Southern California. The the subline on it is A Reformer in Battle, and the book is actually published by Mediatrix Press, and I have to say that if you do not have any books from Mediatrix Press, like, are you really trying as a trad? Ryan Grant over at Mediatrix Press has probably the finest, it's certainly among the finest catalogs of books that I have ever seen. Um, June, he's doing the Month of the Sacred Heart. This book is the book I got from, from, from Mediatrix Press on, on uh, St. John of Capistrano. The, um, I really, like, I'm not being paid to actually talk about this. This is, like, legit, I, the, the, Ryan Grant's got some of the best books out there, and I have utterly enjoyed this biography on a man who is quickly becoming one of my most favorite saints. Um, Now, I'd first heard his name when I moved to Southern California because there was an area in Southern California named San Juan Capistrano, 
And there's a bunch of people like uh, San Luis Obispo. And I mean, most of, even actually uh, St. Joseph, uh, uh, San Jose Cupertino, um, the, the thing is, is like, I learned his name when I was a child. Um, and then I didn't know much about him later. And before I came out of the army and actually got released back into civilian life, I found out about the battle of Belgrade and how he led the army at the battle of Belgrade. And the Battle of Belgrade was near contemporary. It wasn't at the same time, but it was near contemporary with the Battle of Lepanto. And at the time, the Saracens were moving in to Hungary and they were trying to push into Europe. And so they were moving into Hungary and they were moving into, um, actually, I think Belgrade's in Serbia. Anyway, they were moving it. They were moving into the Balkans, and they were pressing towards or towards Belgrade. At the same time, they were also coming in from the east through Transylvania. And St. John Capistrano defended the city of Belgrade with an army of Christian warriors who were outnumbered by most accounts at least 10 to 1. The At the same time, as the Saracens were trying to pass into Transylvania, they ran into one... Vlad the Impaler. Now, Vlad the Impaler, he was a Protestant, but he was a Protestant because he couldn't, because he wasn't getting any help from the Catholic Church. He wasn't getting any support from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church basically kind of surrendered him up. Um, they surrendered him up and, and his region, and he he kind of had he kind of felt a certain kind of way about it, and so he wasn't he wasn't not Catholic because he didn't believe in Christ. He was simply not Catholic because the Catholic Church had basically spurned him. <clears throat> and he was a legendary warrior. He is the man from whom we get the legends of Dracula. And he was known as he, he was known as the dragon um, by the by the Saracens. Now this topic has become near and dear to my heart because as a warfighter, I have a tremendous amount of respect for saints who were also warfighters. So, for example, St. John of Capistrano, uh, Joan of Arc, the Cristeros, the Vendée, and Father Willie Doyle, all of all of the ones all of the all of the catholics who answered their nation's call in a time of great need now granted some of those wars were a little bit more political than they needed to be they were a lot more temporal material than they should have been but that didn't stop those those times from producing some magnificent saints and i wanted to read this excerpt from uh Capistrin's bio because we're running into a point now where we're going to have some very hard decisions to make. And a lot of those decisions are centered around at what point do we become Henri? So quoting from the book, we're going to 
basically I'm going to talk about his writings. And, and it actually is going to talk about a little bit, a little bit of his life. He, St. John of Capistrano, makes excursions to the battlefield. In particular, he cites a case that happened when the Saracens stormed Acre on May 10th of 1291. A Christian soldier went forward all alone to attack the enemy. His act led to his capture and the destruction of this last Christian stronghold in Palestine. Hence, his deed was condemned by contemporaries as foolish and rash. Capistran is inclined to judge differently. Granted the probable situation, he comes to the conclusion that this warrior was rather to be praised than censured. He had judged it better to die for his faith and his city than to live in ignominy. Had others but followed his example, they doubtlessly would have gained the victory, and Acre would still be in Christian hands. Numbers do not mean as much as valor and skill. Knowledge spurs courage. No one is easily afraid in what he knows thoroughly. A small, well-trained troop accomplishes more in a battle than a large but unskilled army. He who wills victory must fight skillfully and train his soldiers well. This leads to a further question. Is flight allowed? Not during the battle is the answer. Look at Acre. Its inhabitants had the duty of persevering to the end instead of fleeing to the harbor. See how many of them lost their lives just the same. Against a stronghold, the aggressor fights with greater danger than the besieged. Still, after the battle is decided, if the enemies have been victors and the citizens have surrendered, then flight is allowed. Only the clergy are bound to remain. The army with its leaders may retreat, although it would be more perfect to resist and fall in battle. When Capistran wrote these expositions, he had not the least presentiment that this case of conscience would one day become, for himself, extremely practical. Fifteen years later, as the leader of the Crusaders in besieged Belgrade, he exemplified literally what he had here written down. But even here, in the midst of a didactic treatise, his longing for the death of a hero breaks through. He admits that there is also an unbloody martyrdom. To bear insults patiently, to love one's enemies, to preserve peace of heart, to subdue the desires of the flesh with the sword of the spirit, to hunger at a well-set table, to freeze when luxurious clothing is at hand, to live in depressing poverty amid the riches of the world, this is a bloodless martyrdom. Still death is more bitter than all this. Martyrdom of blood deserves the highest honor. A related question is that of flight during a time of plague. The question was frequent. Capistran, basing his view on the Bible and history, sees in plague a scourge of God for the sins of men. The usual counsels for behavior during plagues he interprets chiefly in a spiritual sense. These rules, good in themselves, would be abused if they led anyone to prefer the perishable life of the body, which we have in common with flies and fleas, to the salvation of the soul. The one thing that no one can accuse San Juan Capistrano of is cowardice. 
so many people actually write about how they would stand and resist. And then when the time comes, they don't. So many people talk about how what they would do would be different in battle. You get a lot of armchair generals that like to talk about it. But many of these people would flee. Many of these people have never witnessed what battle looks like. They haven't trained for it. They haven't been forged by it. And so they don't really know. But in these United States, we have at least five million veterans. And most of whom agree that the direction that we're headed in is not the right one. Now the problem is, is that of all of these battle-hardened veterans, very few are willing to take up the cross of Christ. And so for all of their talk about resisting, they don't have that anchoring in truth. Because if we don't take up the cross, if we don't cleave ourselves to the cross, then we are far away from truth, period. Christ is truth in the flesh. Ergo, the cross is his battle standard. The cross is his throne. The cross is what we ourselves must direct, must be directed towards. What we must direct ourselves towards the cross. We have to be willing to embrace the cross. Because in embracing the cross, we embrace truth. And that is as poetic as I'm going to get about this. Truth made flesh, sacrificed his own life for the salvation of our souls. Without that anchoring, all of the weapons training, all of the battle hardening, all of the, the sum total of veteran status is useless. Many of my friends my closest friends, my dearest friends, suffer from wounds of the soul, from wounds of the psyche. Of all of, of the vast majority of my, actually no, of all of my friends, the ones who held closely to the cross of Christ actually made it through. They endured the bloodshed. They endured the loss. They endured the pain. And they are not beyond physically worse for wear. Why? <clears throat> the answer is simple. If you're close to the cross if you get close to the cross, then all of those things that you fought and bled for, all of the things that you suffered for, even if they didn't have the meaning at the time, they gain the meaning simply by being still in you as you approach the cross. My friends who are suffering from the worst of PTSD, who are on an assortment of medications. They're on those assortment of, that assortment of medications specifically because they're not looking for healing 
They're looking for comfort. What's the difference? I've had spinal surgery twice. The first one went phenomenally. It went perfectly. There were, aside from a, a, a scar that is roughly about an inch and a half long, you wouldn't have been able to tell that I was ever injured. The second time, now the scar's about three inches long. And while, I've, while I don't live every single day in pain, I lost some function the second time. Healing doesn't mean that I regain all of that function. Healing doesn't mean that I won't be pain-free for the re- that I'll be pain-free for the rest of my life. In truth, that is not the case. Physically, I'm wounded. Those physical wounds are permanent. And I have no expectation, nor do I want some sort of miraculous healing so that everything is exactly as it was when I was in my 20s. And I don't want that because I've learned to live, because I've learned to move around it. The scars are there. The damage is done. Healing for me was adapting. Healing for me was being able to move on. Psychologically, it's the same. The friends I've buried particularly since the late unpleasantness with the closeout of Afghanistan. I could look at it as though they had wasted their lives. Those friends were murdered by cowards. They couldn't stand up to us, so they snuck around. Now, in truth... I don't fault them for that. The ambush is an effective war technique. It's just one of my friends was killed in a war crime. Actually, both of the friends that I'm thinking of when I'm talking about this, they were both killed in war crimes. The enemy was sheltered in a mosque as he set off an explosion, destroying the truck and killing five of, and killing five members of my battalion. One of whom was my friend. Another one of my friends was handing out, was handing out food and candy to kids in a marketplace. When somebody rode a bicycle up behind him, and self-detonated a suicide vest.
I miss them. I pray for the wives and the children that were left behind. And there were wives and children left behind. But at the time, I understood the risks. One of them actually shared my given first name. He and I were also in the same branch of service. We were in different battalions, but we were in the same branch of service. Not just army, but we were both, but we were both infantrymen. So I understood the risks. And I do miss him. I miss them both. Not all of my friends were lucky enough to be able to heal enough to move on. And I say lucky because they would say lucky. Because they refused because they refused to even look to faith, to God, to one to the one who gave so much more than they did for their soul. They refused to look. And it's them who I pray for more. Because they have the opportunity. They can be healed. At least in the way that matters most. Is it necessary that every combat veteran have full function of all of his limbs? No. Every last one of us can fight. I can still hold a rifle. I can still fire a pistol. I can still knife fight. In point of fact, due to the limitations that my body has imposed on me due to age and wear and, and wear and tear and the surgeries and you know, a life of warfare, a life of warfare, I don't waste as much time. I don't spend time doing the flashy moves. We just go straight for the kill. there's a few things that, you know, there's a few things that I do now that I didn't do then that might be considered a little bit quote-unquote flashy. And I'm sure I'd have to spend some time at the range to re-cut, to reacclimate my hands specifically to the explosion and the recoil of a good rifle. But the fundamentals are the same. They haven't actually changed. And mentally, I'm far stronger than I was before. And for those of us who were able to heal, and even for those of us who haven't, we're, we're, we're still physically, mentally stronger than we were before. Many people in, in the country are not prepared for what's coming. 
because the vast majority of people did not suffer the way the warfighters, the millions of young men and women who went off to fight. Many of them didn't suffer that way. And so when the danger comes, they will probably flee. And they should. Because war is not their forte. Many should choose the contemplative, reparative life of prayer and penance. But there is going to come a time, particularly amidst the more traditionally Christian communities, and I'll broaden that I'll broaden that to include the quotation, the, the Christians in quotes. There is going to a come, come a time, here shortly, when the Christian communities will have to ask for the help of their warfighters, all of us who fought and lived, to defend them. Will we just defend? We have seen in the last couple of years, but in these last few weeks most especially, that the leftist cathedral, the corporate media, the big government global homo elites, the Davos people and the Bilderberg people. By the way, Bilderberg's meeting this week. That's why I'm mentioning them. The Davos people and the Bilderberg people, the, the people up at big tech, They have shown themselves to be a complete culture of death. Many of them are declared Satanists, and many more have simply not declared their allegiance to the Prince of Lies. But they are fully in league with the Prince of Lies, that murderer and liar from the start. And they have shown that they will not live and let live. They want your obedience. They want your compliance. They want you to throw your lot in with their damnation. And they want it more than they're willing to let you live. And that's important to understand. It's desperately important to understand. Because these people will not be satiated by simply live and let live. You will do what they want, when they want, how they want, or they will persecute you. They will chase you, they will pursue you, and like Brett Kavanaugh, they will try to kill you. Like Brett Kavanaugh, or that unfortunate soul at a prayer rally in Portland who found himself stalked down the street and then murdered in cold blood, shot right in the chest, out in the open. They're burning down pro-life family planning centers. They want to be able to murder children all the way beyond the, all the way beyond birth. They've already proven it. That dipstick governor for uh, Governor Northam, Governor Blackface from Virginia, proved it. 
We'll deliver the baby, we'll make the baby comfortable, and then we'll have the talk. And if the parents want to exterminate the child, then we'll exterminate the child. That was the legislation he wanted regarding abortion. They've gone into the schools and brought the lowest levels of degeneracy, degeneracy not seen at this to this degree since the Weimar Republic. But they've taken it further than the Weimar Republic because now they're talking about how if your child can't even form a word but has decided that they're going that they want to transition from a girl to a boy or vice versa, the parents have decided, we will go ahead and play that game with you. We will raise you like that, and we will help mutilate your body. And if the parents won't cooperate, then the state will do so. If you haven't seen Matt Walsh's What is a Woman, the documentary by the, on the Daily Wire, It would not be the worst idea to go ahead and, you know, start your little seven-day free trial and watch the and watch the video. If they have a free trial, I know I know I know for a fact they got some kind of discount on the subscription, but they might they might also have like a free trial or something like that. These people are lost. I'm not going to say that they're a lost cause, but they are most definitely currently lost. They worship death. They spread death. And it shows in the schools with Drag Queen Story Hour and the LGBT craziness that's going on. It shows in the abortion debate. It shows in the gun control debate. I'm going to take a moment to to show you some cynicism here because what a lot of people don't realize is every time a Democrat talks about violating the Second Amendment and trying to erase it, gun sales skyrocket. The stock prices of those gun companies actually goes up. And guess who owns stock in those companies? The very same people. The very same people who are talking about stripping the guns from you. So they get an opportunity to both try to strip the guns from you and to profit off of your panic buying. I have already said in many podcasts, and actually several podcasts over the last couple of months, that if they're coming for your guns, if they want to dictate to you the things that you can and cannot do in order to defend your family from criminals, from invaders, from the government itself, if they are trying to tell you that you are not allowed to defend yourself and yours, they are your enemy and should be treated as such. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. 
So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In my current state and status, I don't need a gun. I don't. In my current state and status, well, I'm just going to go ahead and say, my enemies are not any safer because I don't have them. And when this really hits the fan, I'm cautiously optimistic that there will be plenty of them around that I can just procure when I need it. Am I going out and buying guns? No. Why? I can effectively defend the borders of my home with a stick. And those people who would bring guns to my home in, a, in an attempt, they better bring enough people. It's that simple. Because if I have to defend myself in my home, they're going to find out what getting medieval on someone really means. And I don't even mind telling you I don't have a gun. I don't mind putting it out there. If you think that makes me more of a target, well, you too can find out the hard way. If I had a family, if I had a wife and children, I would have guns. They're faster, they're quicker, they're easier. If I had a community, I would have explosives as well.
The Second Amendment doesn't protect, doesn't protect, doesn't preserve your right to have cannons. Actually, yes, it does. Always did. There are these things called privateers, and they had cannons. They had big ships with lots of cannons, and they personally owned those cannons, and they used them to fight against the incur, in the incur, uh, the the government that was making an incursion against them at the time. At the time, it was Britain. Twice. Later on, it would be Spain. Not really. That was a false flag. But we always had a right to whatever weapons we deemed necessary to defend ourselves from the threat. Military-grade weapons were commonly in the hands of the American people. And it has only been getting dialed back in the last 100 years. The greater portion of our history was spent armed to the frickin' teeth. Even in Los Angeles in 1941, Japan knew that if it was stupid enough to try and invade from the West Coast, they would not get past a single county because they would have to go home door to door, street by street, city by city, and they could never do it. And that's part of what it's for. But what the founders really wrote the Second Amendment for was for days like this, when the government would turn the apparatus of the state against you, when they would spy on you with the National Security Agents, with the National Security Agency, when they would put you on watch lists with the FBI. when they would surveil you with the NSA. These are the days that the Second Amendment was written for. There is no point when a government particularly a godless government, should ever not be afraid of its people. Because if they will not fear God, then they must fear you. And these people do not fear God. It's different with a monarchy. It's different with Catholic monarchy. Because in a Catholic monarchy... Everybody knows that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that every mortal man, which is to say every man, woman, and child, cannot add so much as a millisecond to their day because their date and time when they go to their eternal reward isn't set by how many push-ups or sit-ups they can do. It isn't set by how many marathons they can run. It isn't set by how many guns and how many bullets they have in their homes. It isn't set by how much food they have kept packed away in storage. The date and time by which God uses to call you to your eternal reward is set by God alone. And in a Catholic monarchy, the king knows it, the princes know it, the barons know it, 
and the people know it. And because they know it, there's limits to how far you can go. And if you do go too far, you are promised your eternal reward. And that eternal reward is a very, very hot one indeed. But in an atheistic, materialistic, communist republic, a post-modernist, post-human republic, so-called, in the time when everybody's worried about the conservation of our democracy, and they're not worried about the preservation or the salvation of their souls, in times such as these is when you need the Second Amendment. In times such as these is when you have to be ready to fight. In times such as these I'll put it this way. Last year, the previous 12 months, was your time, if you hadn't started preparing, to prepare, to put away food, to maybe purchase one or two extra guns, to get some ammunition, to make sure that you had a fresh water supply, to make sure that your family wasn't SOL and starving. That was this last year. This year, Civis Pach, Pax, Parabellum. Civis Pachim, Parabellum. I don't remember which one of those is actually the correct way to say it off the top of my head. But if you're looking for peace, you must be prepared for war. And so it would be a good idea to spend some time at the range. And it would be a good idea to maybe bone up on your weapon skills. It would be a good time to pray an extra rosary. If you're already praying five decades, bump it up to 10 and then to 15. If you're already doing that, then add in the liturgy of the hours or the divine office or the little office. Now is the time to fight both spiritually and to prepare to fight physically. Because they're not going to stop. And it is our capacity to defend ourselves which really, really shakes them in their boots. Why are they worried about AR-15s? They're worried about AR-15s because when they come at you with AR-15s, they want to make sure you don't have equivalent weaponry. Because they can have their armored vehicles. Okay, cool. I can stop their armored vehicles with tires. I can destroy their vehicles with ditches. I can stop them with a little bit of barbed wire. I can divert their missiles, those who are actually capable of doing such things. You can actually divert their missiles. You can take down their drones. But if they're going to hold the ground, they have to hold it with boots. Because little robot dogs with machine guns on them, you know, it's nice, it's a cool toy, but it's not going to cut it. 
You want to hold the ground, you need boots. You need people. And they will be equipped with the same weapons you are. And to be sure, I'm not even a huge fan of necessarily of the military grade weapons. There are plenty of weapons out there that are finer weapons, better weapons than what the US military has. The problem that they run into is that if you can meet them toe to toe, pound for pound and round for round, that becomes the problem. That is what terrifies them. And that's why they want to take away the AR-15s. Now, maybe they'll back off of it. Maybe, maybe, you know, the, in quotation marks, the right, the conservatives, maybe they'll win in a landslide and they'll buy us a little bit of time. But at this stage of the game, you need to ask yourself, what if they don't? What if the mechanisms have already been put in place to make sure that what happened in 2020 continues to happen ad infinitum? There are no guarantees. And more than that, there are no guarantees given what we've seen out of... Okay. The legislative branch refused to pass the law, so the Biden administration wrote an executive order. The Supreme Court struck down the executive order, and the Biden administration executed the executive order anyway. They did this last year. So tell me again that there's a guarantee that if the Republicans retake the House and the Senate, that somehow that's going to change anything. Now is the time to actually be preparing for war. Because if it looks like they're going to lose, they're going to try and tank the whole thing all at once. And you're going to have to defend yourself. Maybe it'll be against brigands as the you know societal norms and laws and all that stuff breaks down. Or maybe not. Maybe they just double down. And they start sending in the jackbooted thugs. We do not dominate the three-letter agencies. We do not control the national, the, national intelli- the national security state. We don't have any influence on that whatsoever. Even if the, bo- the legislative body changes hands here in November. Well, I should say in January when they're actually seated. We have no guarantee that it's going to do any single thing. And maybe they fight. Maybe they actually try to do stuff. But we have no guarantee that any of that stuff is going to work. And the law enforcement agencies are executive branch. The three-letter agencies are executive branch. They're not the legislative. They're not the legislative branch. They're the executive
And given the fact that they're more than willing to throw a Supreme Court justice under the bus to the point that they die, maybe we shouldn't concern ourselves with lawfare so much either. They've shaken all of the institutions. There is no reason for there there is no reason for you to assume that those institutions are going to stay intact, that they're somehow going to suddenly that they're just going to magically by some miracle start serving the public interest and the common good. There's no guarantee of that whatsoever. And I say all of this not to give you a black pill, but to ready you. To make sure that you are prepared. So you need to get into and stay in a state of grace. Because assuredly I tell you that society won't fully break down until the church is reached near the end of its line as well. And that seems to be coming too. That seems to be coming too. So in particular, if you're in the United States, but especially if you happen to be around the world, if America falls, you're boned. I hope you're ready. I suspect that answer is no. And I suspect that answer is no, because most of you, like Rubes, have already given up your capacity for self-defense. Australia, New Zealand, Germany, France. You wouldn't have seen the police using Gestapo tactics over the last couple of years during COVID against the people who could adequately defend themselves. Oh, but if we kill, we're going to be giving up the moral high ground. You cannot give up the moral high ground to murderers. Look, these people are sexual degenerates in every form. These people are thieves. These people are liars. They have no care for the innocence of children or innocence as a concept in general. They have no desire to know or understand the truth and they have no respect for life and less respect for God. What moral high ground could you possibly lose to people who don't just violate every commandment, but openly reject every commandment? These are not a moral people. There's no moral high ground to be lost to the gutters. I'm not even joking. You could commit genocide and wipe out every one of these left-thinking morons and you will still have the moral high ground. Not much of one, but you'll still be on the high ground. Because if you can name one commandment that they don't absolutely reject, if you can name one piece of morality that they still hold on to, that they genuinely hold on to and they're not ready to discard as soon as it politically serves them, I'll tell you what, if you can name any one, if you can name any of it, I will stop, <laughs> email me. You can go to RadioFreeCatholic.com, go click on contact, 
fill out the little form, email me the one thing that they hold to be writing good and true, the one thing that they will not violate that is actually a moral virtue, that is actually something of morality. We're not just talking about, because the, they won't violate their power. And they won't compromise their self-centeredness and their ego, their megalomania. Those are not moral codes. If you can find one, one moral teaching of the church that they would not discard, burn, or destroy, I will stop podcasting altogether. Because you will have actually proven me wrong. There's not one commandment in the ten. There is nothing in sacred scripture that they would not absolutely discard. There is no part of the truth that they would hold on to. And so you cannot lose the moral high ground to these people. Because they're not there. They're in the deepest, darkest pit. They're at the lowest ground that they could possibly get already. You know this. You know it. It's the reason why when you watch shows like The Rundown and you see the videos from libs of TikTok that you get disgusted. Because these people have nothing left of virtue. Oh, we're going to we're going to descend down to their level if we commit violence. No. We won't. To kill a baby killer does not put you on the level of the baby killer. Because the because the one who's willing to kill babies is still degenerate from where you are. Sins do have a scale. There are some things that are worse than others. And a degenerate baby killer is kind of at the bottom of the barrel. Is actually, physically, beneath a pedophile. Anyway. It's a mental and psychological connection that you have to like you have to you have to connect it. I'm probably going to get in all honesty, I mean this might be the end of the podcast for this episode anyway. When the war comes, because they will bring it. You don't have to worry about, oh, we're going to descend to their level if we commit violence. You can't descend to their level. It's not actually possible. Anyway. Sooner or later, we are also going to have to make the choice. The Vendée made the choice. The Cristeros made the choice. St. John 
the Capistran made the choice. The Crusaders made the choice. That Christian soldier who charged out to fight against the Saracen hordes in the fall of in the fall of Acre, he made the choice. Am I saying go off and go march out and go off to war? No. I'm saying when the war comes, you'd better be ready. You'd better be ready to defend you, your family, your property. And possibly your community as well. Because they're going to bring the war to you. They have to. They can't leave you out there. They absolutely, in their completely OCD, egomaniacal need for control... They're going to come for you. If you'd like to challenge anything I've said, bring receipts, because I will bring them back in my response. Bring receipts. If, you, if there's anything that you think that I said that was incorrect, because we're beyond talking about charity at the moment. We're done with that. At least for this topic, we're done with that. To be sure, pray for them. But you've got responsibilities in addition to those God-given rights. You've got duties and obligations. And you'd better follow them. Not because I'm your judge. I'm not worthy to judge a flea. Because God will judge. And the last thing you want to hear is mene mene tekel ufarsim. You've been put in the scales and been found wanting. I know that's on my list of things to not hear from my Lord. And I suck at, and I suck at making sure that that doesn't happen. Has me terrified pretty much perpetually. You're going to have to figure out the path on your own as well. The priests, for the most part, they're not going to be able to help you. They're out of their depth. And some of them are our enemies as well. Read your Bible. Read your catechism. Read the lives of the saints. And get ready. Because it is very clearly coming. Get ready. Civis pacem para bellum. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. <laughs>